0: Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Hello, everybody. My name is John Bootsma, and I am stepping in for Michael Brodeur, who is currently in Brazil uh, ministering there. Uh, Welcome to our Leaders Alliance podcast. Um, We are thrilled to be able to have with us today Peter Young. We'll be bringing him on in a minute, but I just want to tell you a little bit about Leaders Alliance. We are an organization uh, under the banner of Catch the Fire that seeks to bring together both marketplace and church leadership for the purpose of kingdom values distinction. How does that, what does that look like as we see that uh, see the kingdom of heaven advance in the realms regions cities around us and how do we cooperate with the holy spirit in bringing that about we really want to collaborate together uh, to bring kingdom values uh, to different spheres of influence whether it be government whether it be business whether it be the church and uh, really seeking to listen to the holy spirit as to uh, his time and season and so i'm thrilled to be able to be uh, joining and be with leaders alliance in moving in that direction we got a number of people from around the globe that have joined us we also have a podcast once a week and we're thrilled today to be able to have with us peter young you know, peter's uh spent 19 years as a uh, as a commercial banker um peter runs and actually planted a church out in denver a number of years back he's the founder of that church he's really sought to carry the values of the word and the Spirit of God, really seeking to bring revival, equipping believers, uh, engaging the place of radical discipleship, bringing emotion. There is an element of being a hospital uh, in the body of Christ and in the church that Peter has tried to champion in that place, but ultimately seeking to be uh, a a church and an agency to release the kingdom of God in a multicultural, multi-generational way. They are operating as a regional center. Peter himself personally is also a professor uh, at the Denver Seminary. He's also taught uh, at the Global Awakening Theological Seminary, Global Awakening College School of Ministry. He's got his doctorate from United Theological Seminary and really has been recognized as a father within the city and the region of Denver. And so we're thrilled and blessed to have Peter with us once again. He was with us a few years back in one of our podcasts, but Peter. And uh, welcome. Great to have you with us. And uh, I just want to start, Peter, by saying, you know, tell us a little bit about your story and what the Lord has done, how he ignited your heart and how he's led you to the place where you are today.
1: Oh, thanks, John, for that very kind int- invitation and or just introduction there. That was amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I've actually had three sort of phases of leadership. Uh the first really was in the banking world where I, I would have called myself a marketplace leader for the kingdom. I managed a fairly large department in, in a um, you know, a multinational bank and uh, you know my, my role in that environment was to lead like a kingdom citizen in that environment, promote people, move with integrity. and interestingly, while you might grow slower sometimes with that, it was a really solid organization, and it really developed people. Took the same kind of things I learned there from the kingdom perspective and brought that into a church when we started it. And uh, we started in the Vineyard Movement. Um, uh, we had a major move of the Holy Spirit in 2002 that, uh, similar to what happened with Catch the Fire, we, uh, we were asked to disassociate at one point, mm-hmm. given the kinds of things that were taking place uh, in that uh, in the, the move of the Spirit with us, and uh, we ended up coming under Catch the Fire, as well as Randy Clark's ministry and Bill Johnson at Bethel, sort of as our primary apostolic covering. So that's a little bit of the history there. And and now in my latter years, the Lord has allowed me to be a father in the city. So I sort of wearing two hats right now. I, I'm the lead pastor of a church locally. But also work with business leaders, other church leaders, other apostolic fathers in my region, and I'm trying to wear both hats at the same time. So it's been an interesting leadership journey. That's a, a little bit about my whole life with that. So,
0: yeah, that, that's a very brief nutshell. Well, it, it must take something to go from being a banker and suddenly, you know, be recognized as a father in your city. I mean. How does that happen? And also when you began, when you felt the Lord say plant a church and yet you really geared to becoming an apostolic resource center. I mean, tell us, tell us a little bit more about that journey and how those two work side by side as being a father and the head of an apostolic resource center.
1: Yeah. Well, one one thing I've learned, uh, John, is that leaders develop over time. Uh, A guy named Bobby Clinton, who was at Fuller Seminary, Wrote a book, *The Making of a Leader*, and he talked about the process stages God brings us through until we hit sort of convergence. And I think this really began for me when I was in college. I got saved in a fraternity house, and uh, I was 19 at the time. And the Lord said, "When you're 40, you'll be a pastor." And um, I'd sort of wondered about that. I was very avid about. I led a Bible study at the fraternity house. I I led a study at the bank where I ended up working after college, and And yet, I realized that my time in the marketplace was very, very instrumental. And I I really approached it from a kingdom perspective. You know, I had a Bible study, I was leading there, witnessed to people in Fortune 1000 companies. And I actually had more people in the marketplace say, Have you ever thought of being a pastor than I did in the local church? I was serving simultaneously in an elder in a church, leading a children's ministry, starting small groups working with a college ministry, it depended on the season. But uh, the, the, the call to ministry was not so much um, a dramatic call as much as an invitation. Um, when I was roughly um, 33 at the time, I, um, I had really accomplished what I wanted in the marketplace. I'd become a manager. I had really established a department that was really moving with integrity and I wondered, Lord, I'd like to be a pastor. I've, I've had so many talk about it. What would you think? And the Lord spoke to me and said, um, you can either be stay in the marketplace and you'll become a marketplace apostle. And I, at that time, I had no idea what the word meant, you know, other than just sent one um, in the marketplace. Or you can become a pastor and I'll bless either course. And so I ended up choosing pastoring. It's less financially lucrative. I can tell you that much. But <laughs> Um, And I miss the marketplace piece because in the marketplace, you get to bring the kingdom in realms that you don't see as a pastor. I, you know, um, I, I would have so many clients talk to me about the Lord. They could just see it on me and I was not, you know, closed. I'd give prophetic words and people, what's that? And they, they just invite me to speak into their life. But now I do it as a pastor predominantly. And so, I had influence in the bank where I was. I was known by most of the corporations in the area because we were the largest bank in our region and I did bank most of the large companies. Um, but then I worked st- extremely hard to build collegial relationship with lots of churches, lots of pastors, lots of marketplace leaders, government leaders. And it's been a, really a, a 25, 30, 35 year process of literally getting to know people. And the approach I have with that is, how can I serve you? I honor their ministry. I honor their business. And I try to add value. I try to bring value to wherever I go. And that's given me a credibility. In addition, um, I'm very much a kingdom-minded, believing in partnership, the the value of, how would we put it, other ministries, uh, the, the role that everyone has that's unique. And so... We do a variety of conferences, events. We've had a regional school of ministry, and we send everybody, everybody back to their environment. None of them stay at our church. I'm very clear we're not shuffling sheep in our environment. We're here to resource the body of Christ. And that reputation of serving and being you know, humble in that and not, if you will, trying to build an empire, but literally laying ourselves down to serve a city has just grown over the years and i've discovered i have a reputation i didn't realize i didn't really seek to cultivate it the lord's done that to some degree and i have people just calling me saying hey can you father our our church or can you speak into our business Uh, can you minister to our leadership team it's just sort of organically something the lord's done
0: so that is amazing, first of all. And second, I want to say, is this something that came naturally to you to just come with a mentality of serving and of giving and being kingdom minded? Or is it something you had to learn and possibly learn the hard way?
1: I did have to learn it to an extent. I think, you know, when I began in ministry, you know, I thought maybe it was about me, but I'd actually had some really good mentors. I, I, was birthed in a, a movement that was out of boston uh, boston and massachusetts here and they were very much about um partnerships and so i actually saw it modeled there that that particular church that i was in related to four or five other churches the leaders were very collegial they they ministered in team and so i saw it modeled there similarly when I moved to Denver, Colorado after college, I, I think it's my home state and got a job out here, um, both in the workplace and in the church I was in, it was very much team oriented. And I, I think it was uh, partly the fact that I had European parents. I had um, a very diverse background. I've been in many nations, many countries. I traveled a lot as a, as a child with my parents. I just saw the value of different people, and I actually developed a worldview that is everybody matters, everybody gets to play. Uh, I was in the vineyard early on, and that was John Wimber's mantra, everyone gets to play, and you know, he honored the the, the liturgical church, the evangelical church, and I, I think I just saw it before I ever got in ministry modeled for me, and so I think I learned it through observation, and it became a core value for me that That, you know, the the body of Christ, I'm a small piece and everybody else matters a great degree. And so I've just learned to honor that watching these great mentors.
0: No, that's uh, that's amazing. You know, it reminds me of my early years because I was I grew up really under John and Carol Arnett. They were, of course, also part of the vineyard. But I heard John say on numerous occasions that it's always character before gifting. And it seems to me as though I'm hearing your story that that's also engaged. Can you just speak to that whole character underlying the place of gifting then in your journey?
1: Yeah, it's actually in our philosophy of ministry as a local church uh, is that we promote character before gifting. And I think part of that is seeing the fact that... um, People of character that, you know, we're we're being called ultimately to look like Jesus. We're we're created in his image and we're meant to represent the image of Jesus. And he's one of humility. He's meek. He's um, a servant. I mean, he was very clear in his teaching that he came to serve. And so I I think um, I'm looking for that in leadership. And I've seen, I've made some mistakes where i promoted people that had their own agenda and it's always ended poorly.
0: <laughs> okay. They
1: either had some moral failure or they uh, ran out on an agenda of their own that was detrimental to the organization, whether it was in the business world or, or in the church world. And so I've learned that, you know, someone's character, their alignment with your vision, their willingness to serve. My language now is, can they be a son or daughter in the house? You know, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. And so I'm looking for those on my leadership team that will serve ultimately our vision. But given that, I'm then able to promote them in their vision. And some of them are doing things way exceeding me. uh, But I know that they ultimately honor and serve the house. And that gives me the security to relate and let them go. Um, And I see the character. Um, I have very, very gifted people. Uh, you know, one guy in particular, I'm thinking of that's, you know, been around our church for a while. And I I have never released him in ministry because he has no idea what it means to be under authority and he's emotionally unhealthy. Uh, but he's, he's raised the dead. He's, I mean, delivers people. He does the most amazing stuff, but I can't put him on my team because ultimately that could be a downfall for him.
0: Wow. Now, I love the whole topic of sons and daughters and being a son and a daughter, but you speak to having them serve the church. Can you give us a little bit more in that regard? Like, is there a timeline you usually give them as they give you their vision? I mean, what does it look like to develop these people and the destiny that they enter into? Yeah.
1: Well, it's varied for me. We're, We're actually, our ministry has become what we call an apostolic resource center. We're sending people out continually in fact, we even planted a church during COVID and sent out, actually, we we flew in three leaders. We flew in Leif Hetland, uh, Bob Hazlett, who's a prophet. We flew in people to ordain him. We sent 60 of our people and we paid his salary for a year. And we have, you know, leaders that lead worship and other churches that have come up through our department, our, our worship area. And I, I think... Um, you know, I think in answer to all this, this this issue of sons and daughters is really an alignment of heart. and And, um, you know, Leif Hatlund once said to one of my associates um, that he invited to travel with him to the nations. We'd, we'd heard the call on his life for that, and he was ready to go run, do it. I said, no, I think you need to come in humbly and come under and serve. And, and Leif spoke to him and said, unless you learn to be a son to Peter Young at his church— you'll never be a son to me in the nations. And, and I understood that when I heard that spoken, I realized that is the, that is the, the qualification for promotion is we learn to be a son. And so I have positioned my heart, every leader I've been under, um, I have served their vision until the Lord My And then with that, I just trust the Lord, Lord, if I'm faithful to serve their vision, at some point you'll, you'll have people serve mine. And, I'm just not nervous about it because it's not me that's building the church. It's his church anyway. And so I'm looking for people that are, first of all, wanting to serve my vision, but then I'm listening, what's their vision? And then I actually promote. So the gentleman we planted a church with, he was only on my team like three years. He was ready in three years. He came out of seminary, saw the call of God immediately on his life and put him in charge of the first year at our school of ministry. And before we knew it, he would said, "I'd like to plant a church," and it was within a year that we we sent him out. Other leaders have been about five years, some are ten years. It just depends on their maturity, their calling, the timing of what they're about. But I won't promote them unless they learn how to be a son in their heart first to Jesus, then to myself or Mama Gwen. That's that's my wife, um, and they call me Papa Peter, which they it's kind of an alignment. It's hard to explain and. Once they're aligned, I can get behind their vision fully.
0: So you're Papa Peter. You're not Pastor Peter. You're not Apostle Peter. You're Papa, <laughs> Papa Peter. And, yeah. and that's their choice of language. And, it and is and their it, choice. And it matches the culture of your church. It does. That you've developed.
1: Yeah. If people will go to our website, they'll see, let's bring up Papa Peter. You know, that's the language. and. And actually that mattered to us when I was called pastor Peter, one person at one point tried to, one of my staff tried to call me apostle. Cause I do function that way. We have a signs and wonders kind of ministry, but, um, I, I just hate titles cause it separates, but father is family language and in family, good fathers and good mothers. Um, they say this, you know, my ceilings to your floor, you can exceed me. And I remember it was, uh, it was the man of fire anibal from argentina he came he was in Denver at one point i was in the meeting and we went forward for impartation my son was in the meeting we weren't sitting together i was sitting front row with some pastors and my son was somewhere and we we came forward and i watched him minister he was giving prophetic words he went to my son and uh, said son what are you doing in the church and uh you know he answered well i i lead worship he was our worship pastor at the time i work with the young adults. I, I work with graphics and media. And he said, No, no, you don't understand the question. What are you doing in the church? And, <laughs> you know, John sort of stumbled for a moment said, Well, I, I lead this. He said, No, no, missions. And he laid hands on my son. And and I'd, I'd seen that when he was two years old, he got a call to the nations, and he went down instantly. And then he walks 30 people over and stood right in front of me. And he said, Are you his dad? And You know, I knew he knew it by word of knowledge. And I said, oh, my God. I said, yes. And he said, don't you dare put your mantle on your son. And uh, I'm like, (laughs) yes, Lord, you know. And what I learned from that was that just like I understood that from a dad-son relationship in the natural that, of course, I want my son. I knew he was called to the nations. In fact, by the time he was 22, he'd been in China, Thailand, Brazil, Ireland. I mean, he'd been in like 10 nations by the time he was 22, and I knew that was his call, but it was this thing of saying, your job as a dad is to make John amazing and fulfill his destiny and don't hold him back. And so I embraced that as a pastor or an apostolic leader of a church, and I actually have that mindset. Everybody in my church is not there to build my ministry. I'm there as their dad to help them achieve their dream and their calling in the body of Christ. And that has changed everything, and people feel that. And that's why they call me dad or papa, is because they know I'll get behind them.
0: Yeah. Now, I can only imagine that with that as part of your church culture, you've had people that when they think of dad in the natural, that it's been a very terrorizing, abusive, challenging language. So how do you you embrace these kind of people that— kind of get into the mix or into the midst of the church, but dead is actually a bad word, is a, is a negative connotation yeah. to it.
1: Well, we, we have 10 core cultural values, and one of them is, the, the acronym is L for life, but one of, one of them is what we call life-supporting leadership, and I am really, really big on our leaders ministering in life, so part of it is it's modeled Um, because you're right, many people come in out of abusive backgrounds or, to be honest, abusive church leadership environments. I have probably a dozen pastors in my church right now that have been in ministry that got chewed up and spit out by the local church, usually by another leader, sometimes uh, wounding in the church. And they just need to heal and get well. And literally, they often sit for two to three years, and they watch a different model of leadership that actually serves, and honors, and promotes, and empowers, and gets behind, and heals, and they begin to develop trust. So some of that journey, John, is, is um, I literally live as a father, and uh, one of the ways I model this, quite honestly, is I have what we call an open microphone on Sunday mornings. So this last Sunday, our children get words of knowledge. We had I should have the list, but it was like, you know, a woman in a purple shirt wearing brown pants. You know, God is going to heal you today. You have an ankle injury. And we had probably 15 or 20 words from the kids, the age four to 10. And then they came in the service and prayed for people. And then we could hear everybody clapping as they got healed. And wow. what it modeled for people is I actually trust our children that there's no Jubilee holy spirit, that they can move just as powerfully as adults. Somebody had a prophetic word. I gave them the microphone and said, you give the word. And what I'm modeling is as sons and daughters, when I know you're aligned with our vision, I can release you and I can empower you and I don't need to control the outcome. And it creates this environment of, 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 that's why I can describe it as permission giving environment. But at the same token, I must discipline that if they're out of alignment, I have to call it, I have to call it what it is. And I'm very careful with that because if I let that go, it develops a culture of entitlement. And that's the last thing I want to do.
0: Right. And that's what a dad does. They call out things as well. So tell us then, because you're stating that they have to be in alignment to the vision. So tell us a little bit more about the vision of your church then. Just elaborate on that, would you?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, we say things that, you know, we're a covenant family and family means something to us. We're, We're, looking at a family model because we believe transformations life on life. It's it's built in one-on-one relationships with moms and dads. So we're a covenant family about the presence of God and the kingdom life to our city, region, and world. And the, the, the culture of presence is important to us because we have a revival culture. Um, we want to see the church revived. One of my number one callings is to revive the evangelical church in our region. And God's used that's so part of why I teach in academia um, is I get influence in the evangelical church, which is one of my personal calls. And um, I get to bring the kingdom in environments that they would never set foot in. So sort of a charismatic church. And so when I teach at Denver Seminary, I'll say I'll teach on impartation, for example, when I do a healing class. And everyone gets laid out on the spirit on the floor at a conservative Baptist seminary. Wow. <laughs> they just kind of keep it quiet, but it's a way for me to do that. So the culture's revival, its presence, its kingdom, and then life stands for our, our cultural values of empowering people, expanding the kingdom, freedom, fullness of the spirit, intimacy and identity, and then life supporting leadership and loving relationships. So. I'm just real clear in it. Our leadership all understands it. And as long as they're serving that, I can release them to do their dreams. Yeah. And so I don't care. care. Yeah, yeah, I don't care if they become greater than me. Like my first associate, he's led crusades around the world. He's, he's seen 16 raised from the dead. I've never seen that personally. Led hundreds of thousands to the Lord. And I just cheer him on. I tell his testimonies. That's awesome. And I don't care if I'm recognized or not.
0: No. And that's the heart of a father. And it's the heart of Jesus who said, greater works than these you will do. I'm going yeah. to the father, you know, so that's great. I, I want to go back to something you stated earlier, because I can imagine that, you know, it might be a bit of an untouched or unreached area for people. And that is marketplace apostles. The Lord said to you, you could be a marketplace apostle, or you could be a pastor in the city. So talk to us about how that works. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, just maybe give, let me give definition to the term apostle. I, I think of it in, in two or three ways. Uh, the first way is I think, you know, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, um, thir- you know, 13, 14 to 17, that you have many guardians or teachers in Christ, but few fathers. And as a father, I'm going to send my son Timothy to you. So I think a marketplace apostle is, first of all, fathering people in their greatness. Most business leaders are trying to make a reputation for themselves and their employees are serving their vision, but they're not really trying to develop employees. And so I think a marketplace apostle is one that is building people and their highest assignment is building people. That's their greatest asset, if you will. And as they build those people, they're still serving the vision of their corporation or their business. And so. I made that my aim to serve, um, serve and make great the people under me as a, when I was in the marketplace. Uh, I, and I, I think, you know, for example, I have a good friend right now that's got a kingdom business. He gives 20 percent of his uh, net profit away every year. He's giving millions of dollars away. And what he does is he finds young entrepreneurial. It's predominantly an entrepreneurial kind of business leaders. He hires them and then he develops a company around them and then release fathers them for three or four years and then releases that company in the the realm of companies. And he's got like 35 companies right now built around individuals that he's raising up and all are giving 20 percent away. They're all different businesses. And in fact, my daughter works for one of them and They're making a difference. The the other thing the apostle does is they bring the culture of heaven to earth. So these business leaders, I prayed for people in the marketplace, even though that's taboo. You can't bring it in. Um, I would pray for my employees. I'd see headaches healed. I'd give prophetic words. And what happened is I did it in such a low-key, honoring way, way without trying to convert, so to speak, or have an agenda I literally had clients in the bank. Uh, I had employees that would come up and say, I hear you, new God. Can we talk? And I just developed this reputation of I was about representing the kingdom, but I didn't do it in a forceful way. And people understood it. And it changed the culture where we worked. And so I think that's the other thing a kingdom business leader does is they bring the culture of Jesus And it's non-Christianese. It doesn't look very Christianese, but it brings integrity, character, it brings the values, generosity, all those kind of things into the work environment. And I think the Lord, you know, I didn't know what it meant at the time, but I understood that um, because of the influence I already saw that God would use it not only in my business, but within the downtown Denver, multiple businesses would be impacted by the culture. Because I led Bible studies, and I was involved with other business leaders that were believers. And we were encouraging and stimulating one another to like do things from a kingdom perspective.
0: Wow. That's brilliant. And I'm sure that any listener, you know, the listeners here are thinking that's... I mean, we want to see that happening in our cities. So tell me this, then, as the next uh, lead on from that. If, if it serves that we have marketplace apostles, what about the remainder of the fivefold in the marketplace? How do you... How do you view that or do you nurture that within your local church community as a, not only as an apostle in your, your church, but as an apostle in the city? Yeah. Well,
1: I think you're right. The apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're there to equip the church to do the work of the ministry and have every joint, every part do its work. So if I was in the marketplace, um, we do that. In fact, interestingly, I had one of our people that was leading our healing. He had an itinerant healing ministry. So we're talking physical healing as well as inner healing. Um, he got hired by Hewlett Packard, and his title is corporate evangelist. Wow. And interestingly, he was an evangelist, and he would evangelize. He was constantly witnessing, you know, when he would do healing crusades, constantly bringing in and he realized that that gifting of evangelist on him in that case he became promoting the company he worked for but he did it from a kingdom perspective and he actually embraced that and so he operated in that gifting to make the company great but he did it with the culture of heaven as an evangelist and I think it's Malcolm Gladwell has a book called the tipping point and he's got different names for things, the maven, the, the different type, but he's essentially, when you read that book, you'll realize he's identifying the fivefold that actually caused businesses to flourish. And they're tapping into kingdom principles without realizing it. So the, the gentleman I mentioned that has these kingdom companies, he's actually predominantly an apostle. He's a father, but, um, my, um, uh, there's an, another lady, uh, Jessica, who used to be on my staff. She's a prophet and she will, she builds websites for people and then prophesies over businesses. And what she does is she will be invited to boardrooms around the, the region to actually prophesy over leadership teams. And, uh, and so she's got a kingdom business and she's she's using her prophetic gift in the marketplace. And so I, I think the role, if you're a local church leader, is to recognize that some of the fivefold people in your church—they're actually not called to the church; they're right. called to the marketplace. And my job is to help envision the prophetic person to say, "What would it look like for you to prophesy into businesses?" And you do it subtly—you don't use Jesus and certain language. But I remember when we we bought our building, and the owner of the building was there for our dedication, and Jessica prophesied. He, he dropped his jaw and he looked and said, "It's like you're in our boardroom. How did you know that?" And uh, it was, and we had long conversations about the Lord after that because that's what a prophet will do is they'll stimulate people to look for Jesus in the marketplace.
0: That's amazing. So I really love the fact that you, as a local church leader, and I know you don't like the term leader, so as a father is maybe better. <laughs> um, but it's not it's not like leaders wrong, but as a father because it's more appropriate. Um, really seek to uh, to get underneath. And with, when you recognize the character, when they've got a heart to serve, to push them forward. What about the area of empowerment? Meaning that as you release the apostles and the prophets and so forth into the marketplace, is there a sense of encouragement to them to identify other prophets or like attracts like to raise up others within the marketplace to multiply that?
1: Yeah, well, Paul, you know, I, I referred to Paul and Timothy, you know, in that First Corinthians 4 passage. And First Timothy two two, he says that. He says, um, Timothy, these things that I've taught you to do, these things give to faithful men who will give this to faithful men also. And he's actually got a, because Barnabas to Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men, to others, there's like a four or five generational um, mindset there. And so, yes, that is the role is to replicate. We should have a hundred year vision for our church. So I'm already thinking who is to take, my church, Bridgeway Church in Denver, uh, in the next phase, and what will it look like to be in revival until Jesus returns? Come on. And so I think every good fivefold is actually thinking how can they replicate and pass it on to the next generation?
0: Okay. And that's what uh, we're seeing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I'm just thinking, you mentioned revival, and, and that I know is core to your very heartbeat and to your vision of values. What does revival look like to you in the times that we're coming into as it pertains to the city of Denver or the region surrounding it?
1: Yeah, well, you know, revival can be sort of what we saw in the 80s and 90s. Of course, Catch the Fire was so key with this. Um, um, with And the Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, when it was named that, was the idea of renewing the church. So part of revival is everyday Christians getting in love with Jesus again, learning the culture of the supernatural, the, the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel of salvation and then being mobilized to actually take the kingdom to the streets. So it's reviving the church, but then revival is also um, an atmospheric place where the lost actually it's like the they jump into the net they're looking for salvation and there's something where the prayer cover the kinds of you know unity that's happening in a region actually attracts the presence to the place where the conviction of the holy spirit is present and people just want to get saved and you you literally see salvations um because that is part of revival um we're beginning to see that there's a local evangelical church that when they caught this vision a couple of years ago, saw a thousand people in one year saved. And then they did it that very next year, and they have been praying 24 seven for one year before they saw these thousand conversions. That Christmas, they said, let's do an outreach. We'll have the best sound and light show for Christmas and people will drive their cars. They saw another 1200 people saved during the Christmas outreach over three weeks. It took them two and a half months to baptize everybody.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And that's revival. I mean, so biblical revival does include the lost getting swept in. It includes signs and wonders. It includes unity. You know, they were all together in one accord, Acts 2, right? And then the Holy Spirit falls like fire. So it's there's multiple elements to that. But th- that's sort of a nutshell of what I see revival looking like.
0: No, that's, I mean, it's amazing, and it certainly hits the desire of our hearts, you know, as we see the culmination of the ages, the desire of the nations returning again. Um, yeah. I'm realizing our time, we have to wrap up soon. I want to give you an opportunity, Peter, to minister to, you know, anybody that's listening, any, any words or anything that you're sensing, um, but also, or any, anything even in general, as you wish. But I also want to ask you this, you recognize not just as a father in your local church, but as a father in the city. And so, But Denver is so huge. We're talking millions of people yeah. in that whole region. What does it look like for a number of these leaders and, and other apostolic fathers to work together and communicate together?
1: Yeah, I, I think one of the main roles of an apostolic father is to um, relate to other fathers you know, I would be foolish to think I'm the only one. And so we actually have a father in, in, in the area, in the Castle Rock, this one in Boulder, this one in North Denver. I happen to be in Denver proper. And our job is to partner together for the sake of revival or the region. We, we're gathering under like-minded DNA. We've actually understood the core values. We're going after the same thing. And we actually honor the difference in anointing. The the guy in Castle Rock has the most incredible governmental anointing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he was governor of our state someday. I mean, it's literally amazing. The mayor is now a believer in his town. The, the, The school board directors. I mean, it's crazy that governmental anointing. Mine is more like working with church leaders and fathering fathers the guy in Boulder is more evangelistic and helps lead the crusade kinds of things and a key event. So I think the key is recognizing who the fathers are and then getting them together to work in one accord rather than building independently. That's the key in a region.
0: Very good. No, I love it. I love it. Well, as we wrap up, is there anything that you're sensing or feeling that you want to be able to minister to anybody that might be listening or any, any final words or thoughts that you want to give?
1: Yeah, I actually felt like some listening are, I, I feel like the Spirit's in a way been hovering to catalyze vision again and just refresh that. You know, we're coming out of the close of one era. I think we recognize COVID marks sort of a new era of the kingdom church, an agape revolution of love and, and also just a much broader understanding of the kingdom. So I actually want to just pray for everyone that God would meet them with encounters Um, with times that they really are recatalyzed in the vision that God is giving them. So if I could do that, I'd just love to pray, John, for everybody. Um, Absolutely. So, Lord, I pray for those that are in the marketplace. I'll use that general term, business, media, arts, entertainment, family, education, wherever that might be, and in the church. Lord, I pray that you would give us fresh vision for the kingdom revolution, the love revolution that's taking place. I pray that you would give them vision for teamwork, vision to honor and not just build independent silos of ministry, but to learn how to partner in their region, church to government, church to business, and vice across network with what you're doing in a region. I pray that there'd be encounters where the people would be radically encountered with a fresh fire for the vision that you planted that in them at, at the very beginning. And Lord, we just lay down our programs, our agendas, those things that you called us to lay down during COVID and let us center on Jesus as King. Let us center on the revival kingdom agenda and that um, ultimately this kingdom is gonna take over the earth. So Lord, we yeah. we ask that you would um, you would empower everyone listening, every leader in their sphere, that they would have radical encounters with Jesus and the Holy Spirit that would give them fresh vision and fresh strategy for the new season. We ask for this in the strong name of Jesus.
0: Amen. Amen. No, that's excellent. I agree with that prayer. Let it so be. I want to say in closing, Peter, you've got a few uh, places that people want to hear any of your messages or get access to any of your resources. uh, Where can they go for that?
1: Oh, that, thank you, that's kind, yeah. Our church is called Bridgeway Church in Denver, Colorado. Um, our website is bridgeway.us, very simple. You can get um, our live streams of our services, uh, link to our bookstore, um, it's called the thekingdomstore.us and we have on there, I have teachings on the kingdom. I teach uh, through the Bible, uh, Genesis to Revelation. In fact, I, I teach on the New Testament for Randy Clark. at at his college, Um, I teach on leadership there. And some of that material is out on that website under the Kingdom Store, or my personal website, which is uh, PeterYoungMinistries.com. So people can go there and check it out, and
0: uh, yeah, just be blessed. Well, thank you very much. We have been blessed uh, just having you on today's call, Leaders Alliance Podcast. And may the Lord bless you with what's ahead. I believe the best is always yet to come in the Kingdom. And that includes for you. So thank you, Peter, for who you are, for what you've carried and what you've released in our midst. God bless you. Thank
1: you so much. It's been a pleasure. God bless everyone.